Welcome to Stories from Palestine podcast. My name is Crystal and I'm your host. I've lived in Palestine for over seven years with my husband and children. And currently I study the tour guide program at the Bethlehem Bible College. Due to the corona pandemic, tourism has completely stopped and I found my way to podcasting. Every week on Monday, there's a new episode. If you enjoy listening and you want to support the podcast, you can do so by signing up for the newsletter, following Stories from Palestine on Instagram and Facebook, leaving a review, or just tell me what you think, because it is a bit lonely otherwise for me as a podcast maker without any feedback. And you can also support the podcast on the Ko-fi platform. This week's donations I will share with my colleague students of the tour guide program to cover expenses for the excursions we need to do because many students have lost their income due to the pandemic and they would not be able to afford it. So if you had wanted to make a donation at some point, do it now. They will be very grateful. All the links can be found in the show notes and on the website storiesfrompalestine.info. Last week, I took you on the fields to join the olive harvest on Daoud's grandfather's land. And I had a lot of very nice responses from listeners to that episode. The olive harvest is still going on, so I decided for another episode on the olive trees. This time, we are focusing more on the historical, cultural and economical importance. For today's episode, I interviewed Maysoon Sharkawi. Maysoon is a researcher and lecturer. She holds a PhD in history from the University of Lorraine in Nancy in France, and her thesis explores the social, historical and economic environment in which the concept of Palestinian cultural heritage has been formulated throughout the past two centuries. And I stumbled upon her research paper written on the website myheritage.ps about olive culture in Palestine. And when I started reading it, I just couldn't stop. So I decided to contact her for an interview. And I am very grateful that she said yes. Uh, Mesun, I found your report introducing olive culture in Palestine on the internet when I was looking for more information on the on the olive trees. And um, I have to say, I thought I already knew a lot about the olive trees and uh, and olive oil and olive harvest because I've been doing it for 10 years, but I couldn't stop reading. It was so interesting. You wrote in such a way that I feel the connection of the olive tree with the land, with the people, with the culture. And it was for a, a website called myheritage.ps. And there is a project, My Heritage, My Identity. And that's what it was written for. Can you just, just introduce yourself, who you are, what you, what you do, and say something about this project? Thank you, Chris, for hosting me. And thank you for this nice comment of yours. Uh, actually, I'm not a specialist of olive oil culture. Actually, what I'm interested in and my area of research is the industries uh, of 
of Palestine in late 19th century, beginning of 20th century, what Palestinian used to produce. And I take this this research from a historical point of view. For for instance, actually, I am um, I'm working on the mother of pearl industry. It was hugely spread since the 16th century in Palestine. And also I'm working on uh, the uh, glass industry that, that used to be, pro- that, that is still produced, but in a smallest scale if comparing it to the uh, mother of pearl industry. So these are my fields of interest, my field of research, actually. Late 19th century, beginning of 20th century, what Palestinians used to do, what, uh, what, what are their relation to trade and commerce uh, with other countries. And, and since I've uh, worked on the on olive oil industry as part of my, my thesis, my PhD thesis, so I tackled the subject, uh, I had to tackle the subject of olive oil culture uh, eventually. During my thesis, I documented the pressing machines that existed, that were used by farmers in, uh, in, in the Palestinian villages. So this is my research. This is my relation to olive, uh, to olive oil and olive trees. Yes. Yeah. Now let's start with that because I've just last week, I went to Bejala to the olive press. And you must know yeah. it if your family is living in Bejala. Uh, and this is now all um, mechanic, me- mechanized. But, I mean, w- how did Palestinians used to press their olives before they had the motors, the electricity, the oil to, you know, to work these machines? Palestinian, you know, they cultivated the olive tree basically for uh, to use their oil and not for uh, to eat olives. Archaeological evidence show that the production of the of olive oil was practiced since the Neolithical period. That means, yani, between eight thousand and four thousand five hundred years ago. So, and many evidence, yani, if you go to and each village, even and this is this is quite um, curious. Even next to all the presses where we used to press uh, olives in late nineteenth century. We usually find archaeological sites next to them because the olive yards are also approximate. So, so this is you know it's an industry that is really uh, interrelated to each other. You know, you have to find the yards, and then you have to find you know many archaeological sites, and then you you find the press that uh, that, that were used in the late nineteenth century or beginning of the twentieth century. So, uh, so Palestinians had. Practice these techniques uh, all over these uh, centuries, and uh, even what was curious for my research that even in the ni- end of nineteenth century they used modern machines to produce olive oil. Modern machines for that time, you know, the same machines that were used in Italy, the same machines that were used in southern France, were also used at the same time in Palestinian villages, and this shows that they depended largely in the and um, the production of olive oil to sustain. And uh, we don't have to forget also the soap industry that was very much uh, interrelated to the olive oil industry. Basically, the soap manufacturers, they used half of the production of olive oil. So most of the oil was produced for industrial purposes and for commercial purposes. Do you think that uh, if you look at the olive oil that is produced today, for example, 
Is it more for personal local use or is it more for export? Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if it's unfortunate or fortunate, but unfortunately, olive oil is now is uh, is practiced on local bases, uh, personal pay- bases. Uh, the good thing about it is we are still practicing it. We are still uh, consuming our olive oil. So... Let's be uh, optimistic that we won't be importing any olive oil uh, uh, in the near future. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would be something. Yeah, that would be some, something. But I, I don't know if we can sustain. You know, we 100 years ago, we were exporting olive oil, but now we're not exporting. We're just, you know, we're, we're consuming what we produce. And we, sometimes we hardly have sufficient olive oil, like this season, for instance. This season is very bad comparing to the, to the previous one. What is the reason for that, that the quantity has so much diminished that they cannot live from export anymore? Well, because first of all, the population has increased. The land has shrunk. We don't have enough lands to plant uh, olives. So these are the main reasons that we don't have enough oil to satisfy uh, the, uh, the national demands, if we can say. What would you say are the main challenges that farmers have these days with their olive production and their olive harvest, for example? First of all, most of the lands exist in Area C, and Area C represents 70% of the lands in Palestine. Most of olive trees are in, situated in Area C. So these are the challenges, that these lands will be are, are constantly confiscated every day, and the trees are demolished and burned. We're facing this every day. So these are the main challenges. Sometimes also farmer lands exist in Area C, and they sometimes... They don't have permits. Special, they need special permits to go pick uh, their olives. Sometimes they never get these permits. And sometimes they are allowed only a small number of the family can, can go uh, access to, to, to their land. And sometimes they can't uh, harvest the whole uh, yield of, uh, of their land. So many challenges are facing the farmers. And uh, this makes them, you know, uh, keep away from, uh, from the main. The main issue is to keep them away from from their lands. Yeah, we've we've also heard that this year there is a lot of uh, like like previous years a lot of settlers who are attacking the farmers during the har- harvest and in previous years we had a lot of foreign volunteers coming in to support the farmers but now because of the covid there's no foreigners so it means that this year is going to be probably extra hard for the farmers without any international presence. Yes, people. of course. It, it, that was really, really uh, uh, important. The international presence is even in uh, some areas in Hebron when they used to accompany uh, farmers so they can be able to um, to harvest their olives. Yes, uh, I mean, I think in the last 40 or 50 years, uh, one million olive trees have been uh, uprooted. I don't know if this information can can give an image of uh, of the challenges that uh, the olive tree and the olive culture is facing actually in Palestine. Do you have an idea of how many olive trees there would be right now in all of Palestine? Approximately 11 million olive trees, I th- if I remember these st- statistic, statistics correctly, including Gaza. I always hear people saying that the olive tree is a blessed tree. 
Can you explain that? Why would people say that about the olive tree? Well, because it was mentioned in the three monotheistic religions that largely uh, exist in, in this land. Uh, and uh, it was important for, uh, for previous uh, civilizations and cultures. So it's normal that even uh, when, uh, when monastic uh, religions came, it stayed, uh, the culture stayed important. What would you say that olive trees require from people how much care do they need how much do you need to like for example the grapes you need to prune them and you need to care for them a lot is it the same with the olive tree actually the olive tree they don't need uh, much care during the, the whole year but they need a lot a lot of care during the harvest season because we don't have you know you, it's really uh, very bad for the tree if we shake it uh, to to pick uh, the olives uh, if, if we hit the branches to to pick to pick uh, the olives you know and even some agronomists say that we have to milk the um, the olives exactly how milking a cow or a goat uh, so we have to be very careful because it's very uh, fragile huh? and very delicate uh, fruit so even when it uh, when it falls on the ground it turns black so we have to be very careful and the practices of harvesting the tree they are very they they damage the tree and actually some agronomists also say that believe that uh, these practices makes that the tree uh, has become a biannual uh, crop can you explain that what does that mean biannual crop That means that we have one good year followed by a bad year. Uh, in some areas uh, in the Mediterranean, they go to the um, to the fields only once every two years. But still here in Palestine, the harvest season is practiced every year. Even when we have a bad season, we still go to the lands and we still collect the uh, uh, olives, our olives. In concern of uh, presses, uh, ancient presses, even even 19th century presses, they were always always equipped with wells, and these wells, olive oil was kept uh, in them when we had the good year because they they knew uh, farmers that the following year won't be, there won't be uh, enough oil, so they kept the oil in the good years for the following year. But still, they they went to the ground and picked their olives. We said that now we have the modern machines, but you said the olive tree was already in Palestine, probably in the Neolithic period, which is the Stone Age. How did they use to press the olives in those times? Archaeologists have documented around 12 different techniques of olive oil pressing in Palestine. <laughs> Maybe it's hard to explain them, but you know, but yeah, we, we have this document and we have uh, we have a huge remains. You know, when we press olives, several uh, methods are implemented in order to obtain the olive oil. First of all, they have to go into a crushing apparatus that is not used anymore in modern presses. And then the paste, after the olives are crushed, the paste is, is put into baskets and then the baskets are transported to the press. The, the paste is, uh, is pressed and, and then the liquid is obtained and then you know that the olives contain water and oil. So then they are separated in special vessels. So, yeah, it was a very, quite a complex operation. And that's why, because, it, because stone was used basically in, the, in this process. So that's why we can easily find these findings everywhere in Palestine. 
So you mean they used to crush the olives between stones and then and then the paste used to be pressed between other stones or how did they press out the oil? Actually, the olives are, are quite hard, so they have to be uh, crushed. Uh, unlike uh, grapes, as you, as you mentioned, the grapes are very, you know, are very soft and they, so they used to be crushed with an apparatus. I think you've seen that in Bejala or Beit Sahur somewhere called Al-Bad. And you can go visit a museum in Bethlehem next to the Nativity Square called Jakaman Museum. And they have this huge apparatus for crushing the olives and they have the press so you can see the whole process. And thanks God that there are still, you know, some some places wh- where these uh, techniques are uh, are kept and we can still ob- observe them. I read in, uh, in your report, if people in old times, if they were running out of olive oil, but it wasn't really yet the time to pick the olives, they had also a procedure. I think it's called zeit or something like this. Yeah, actually, yes. Sometimes we produce olive oil before the announcing of the uh, harvest season. And these practices, unfortunately, are not practiced anymore. You know, maybe slightly by elder women and some villages, they still practice uh, this uh, method. Uh, actually, uh, before the announcement of the harvest uh, season, olives are, um, sometimes we find the olives on the ground. So all the elder women or, or anyone or elder men also, uh, they pick these olives and they and they crush them, you know, manually. And, and then they put them in a, in, a, in a special vessel, pour hot water on them. And then they collect the oil that floods on the surface of the crushed olives. Another technique, I think they burn olives as well. They used to burn olives during the olive, the harvest season. They, they burn them and then they crush the olives with their hands and they obtain a special uh, oil uh, scented with fume. <laughs> they know the know-how, yeah, it exists, it's there, it's here. It's so interesting, like we as human beings, we come and go, you know, we change, but this knowledge is transferred from mm-hmm. generation to generation. Do you know, are there any interesting proverbs or sayings in Arabic that are really about the olive trees or the olive harvest? During my research, when I used to go uh, to villages and uh, interview uh, elderly people, they always used to repeat the same uh, proverb that uh, that means that uh, olives and olive oil and bread are basic food that, that we have to keep in our houses. Yeah, I, I mean, I know because I've lived here for 10 years now that olive oil is used for almost any dish and it's used a lot uh, on to sprinkle on salads and on hummus and on baba ganoush and so but i've also heard people who literally drink a little cup of olive oil every day because of health benefits yeah yeah sometimes yeah i heard uh, yeah i heard farmers they used to yes I, I can say nothing about it because i really don't know what benefits you know one glass of oil or one cup a small cup of oil can uh, can give but yes maybe yeah maybe it's important or maybe it's good actually human beings they eat what they produce this is the crop that exists so it's normal that they consume it in in different ways uh, in their daily life and uh, Misun, I also, when I came to Palestine, I was first uh, confronted with, well, first of all, with mountains and hills that we don't have in the Netherlands, where I'm from. 
But then I realized that on most of the mountains here, there are these agricultural terraces. Can you explain a little bit about the importance of these terraces? This is another evidence how um, prosperous uh, olive trees were uh, in Palestine. Huh? And they dominated the uh, the landscape of the Palestinian village, but actually they were um, they w- they weren't uh, elaborated for aesthetical reasons. Huh? They were they were used because they were practical. Because you know you've been here for ten years, you know that we have heavy rains during uh, winter. This architectural uh, terraces they protect the soil. And also we have very warm uh, summers. So these terraces also protect the land from dryness. So this is the main reason why they are used. And actually they are inscribed on the World Heritage List of UNESCO, the Batir terraces, the beautiful Batir terraces. Yeah, I am planning a special episode about Batir. I'm going to visit there and do some interviews. And uh, yeah, yeah, we will dive deeper into that. But I was also wondering... The olive tree, where does it flourish most? What is the best soil or what are the best circumstances for this tree? Well, I think the the blessing, the the real blessing of the tree is that it flourishes in arid uh, areas and in moderate, medium soils and in good soils. Everywhere in Palestine, you can find uh, olive trees, even in plains. But it is believed that, that the trees prefer the hill mountain areas, uh, like uh, Hebron uh, Mountains, Bejala Mountains, uh, this central area of Ramallah, Nablus uh, Hill area. This is the belief. But still, they are present in most of the Palestinian plains. And in, uh, if, if you go up to the north to Tulkarem, they don't have hill areas. And the tree is very prosperous uh, up there. There is no place in Palestine where we can't find uh, olive trees, but people who live in olive uh, in, in, in highlands, they prefer olive oil that's produced in the highlands. And people who live in the plain, they prefer olive oil that is produced in the plain. Each one, each community defend, uh, defends its oil and are used for a particular oil because we have different kinds of olive oil. We have light different greens of uh, of ah. is there a place in the um, palestine where people say well the best olive oil is from this region in Rame, in historical Palestine, and in a village called Rame village, and uh, they say that it has the best olive oil, and Bejala as well has uh, this reputation. People quite repeat these two um, towns uh, when they want to refer to the best oil of, of Palestine. And when it comes to the oldest olive trees, because also we always hear about the oldest trees here, the oldest trees there. When you did your research, which places were mentioned to you or which did you visit? Yeah, most of them actually. And it, this is what we hear. Huh? But if we want, you know, scientifically, if we want to um, to document that, 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 that's another thing. But, you know, people say that, for instance, the trees that are in the Garden of Jasmani in Jerusalem are the oldest ones and they date to the Christ's period. It's believed also that uh, in Hebron, Tel Ramede, it's believed that the trees that are there are, are the oldest. And you know that everybody says that the olive tree in Al-Walaji uh, village is the oldest. But it's very hard to know the age of an olive tree because 
there is a particularity as well in olive trees that as they grow up, the interior of the olive tree hollows. So it is. Uh, it's not easy to um, to 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 count the uh, the number of years of the trees. But we know that it's old from the hollowness on inside the trunk of the yeah, tree. Yeah, yeah. Because usually you would count the rings, the year rings of the tree. Of, yeah, exactly. if the inside yes. disappears at some point. You can't count. Yeah, but if the inside disappears, that means it's quite old as yeah. well. So, yeah. I was reading that uh, the trees in Gethsemane, that they, a few years ago, they did research and they found that these trees were probably, they are probably from the Crusader time, but that the DNA of the A trees is so similar that they were probably taken from one tree and then replanted so that maybe they are the children of the olive trees that were present in Jesus' time. And it, this appeals to the pilgrims. Uh, yeah, and this is how we plant new t- olive trees, yeah, and the, the olive trees that we know now. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you have any idea about how uh, many kilos of olives, for example, you would need to produce a liter of oil? Or can you say something about this, the production? Actually, it's quite hard to answer you this question because, for instance, this year is a bad year. But the kilo is make, is producing a good quantity of olive oil. Sometimes we have very good years and the kilo is producing a lesser quantity of uh, olive oil. So it is, um, you know, it's not constant. It's not a constant issue. But it is believed that 50 kilos may produce 16 liters of oil. Okay, 50 kilos, 16 liters. Yeah, this is uh, this is what farmers say, you know, sometimes. But yeah, I don't know how much uh, kilo really uh, represent in, in liters. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, to tell. Yeah, it will also depend on the, uh, the percentage of the oil, they always say. Because one year, the percentage of oil could be much higher than the other year. Exactly, the, uh, the percentage of oil uh, each year. It's believed also when it rains that olive oil flows in the olive. You know, during your uh, your um, life period in uh, in Palestine, that it used to rain by this time in September, by the end of September, beginning of October. Now we're not having any rain. We still didn't have any rain till now. So I think this also may uh, cause uh, the drop of uh, one of the reasons why we're not having as much oil as before. My mother-in-law always uh, wants to wait with the harvest until after the first rain. She always says that. It's like, no, 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 let's not do it this weekend. Let's wait next weekend. Maybe it's rained. Yeah, it is believed. This is the practice, you know. People before, they used to go to um, the... um, This is what I heard from interviews of elderly people as well. They used to go uh, after uh, several rains, not only one rain to the the field. And they never used to start before... um, before November, because they believe, and, uh, and, and even in, in some regions of the Mediterranean, they believe the longer the olives stay in the trees, the more oil they can produce. But now, because of the uh, good, and, and also because of the techniques that were used before, the you know, traditional techniques, so they, they needed to have the stripping olives before they, they take them to the, to the press to crush them and etc. But now, because we, since we have modern presses and we don't really have enough labor to pick the trees, so we go in one weekend and we want to, you know, to collect as much olives as we can and we go press them. 
And most of the holidays are in the beginning of October because also the workers come from Israel and, and are, uh, you know, join their families to go to pick. So, so uh, yeah, these some practices, you know, uh, uh, also are harming the yield and are harming the know-how of uh, the accumulated olive culture in, uh, in Palestine. That's actually really interesting. I never thought about it, but how the fact that the state of Israel was established here with its own new practices and its own holidays, and that they impose this on the Palestinians also will change part of the habits and cultural heritage. Of course, yeah. I never thought about it. Maysoon, I wanted to ask you one more thing about, um, because we talked about the fruits of the tree, about the oil, about mm -hmm. uh, producing soap, but You can also use the wood of the tree. Yeah, of course. Duffs, actually, because, you know, the tree is very uh, symbolic and very important. You know, the olive oil and, and olives are more important than devotional items <laughs> to produce and sell. And economically, they are, they are of a better value. It's a practice that uh, devotional items are produced from branches. We can afford to cut uh, off the tree to produce some uh, small items. We don't have big items. Of, you, know, you can never have shelves uh, made of uh, olive trees. So this symbolism of the tree, you know, made that uh, Palestinians were creative enough because of the tourism industry, because of the tourism uh, market that existed since the, the 19th century and even before because of the religious uh, tourism in Palestine. So they used to um, elaborate things and uh, produce these items. And you said that you know something about uh, and you studied uh, deeply the mother of pearl industry. So just to make a quick sidestep, because of course I see Mother of Pearl here in the shops and I've always wondered why Mother of Pearl? Where does it come from? And why, how did that become a thing in Bethlehem? It was always been practiced in Palestine since the 16th century. But since the 16th century, a shift has occur have occurred on the mother of pearl industry when it was largely supported by the Franciscan in Jerusalem. They started the olive trees, a devotional item. They started to inlay them with mother of pearl. So from that period, the know-how and the practice have become an industrial also, had industrial purposes for many missionaries and for and then for many Palestinians that they had shops and uh, you know practiced this industry as a main source of economical revenue especially for the, for the holy cities uh, Jerusalem and uh, mainly Bethlehem area Yeah, but how did it come? It came from the Red Sea, but it came from even from uh, Eastern Pacific, from this area, from Philippines, and they used to import uh, this uh, raw material from uh, from these places in order to sustain uh, their industry. I prefer not to say much because I'm still working on uh, on that. So, um, but maybe another time, maybe that's for the next for the next time. Yes, maybe we can talk about this uh, mother of pearl and the glass industry. Next episode on mother of pearl. It's very fascinating, you know, also uh, the glass industry in uh, Hebron. Nice. Yes. Yeah, I am interested. So I'm going to keep you in the loop for that. Inshallah. <laughs> My last, very last question, uh, because I read that uh, when you wrote this report, it was related to the Masar Ibrahim, yeah. which is a route from the northern part of the West Bank, I think, to the southern part. And you can walk this in about three weeks time. And it's something that really is supposed to attract a lot of tourism for people who enjoy hiking and the 
So how did your work, this report, this, um, support the work of Masar Ibrahim? Yeah, actually, I was commissioned to um, to elaborate a route, an olive culture route from the existing uh, Masar Ibrahim that connects the north of the West Bank to the south of the West Bank. And actually, I put on the route all the uh, landmarks that are connected to olive culture in Palestine. So uh, hikers can, if they want to make an olive culture hiking track, they can, you know, they can stop on uh, these landmarks. Uh, many of them are in uh, many archaeological sites exist in Hebron, even in Hebron villages. And then they, they stop at Teller made it with its uh, olive garden. And uh, also in the old city of Hebron, there are uh, some olive presses that dates uh, to uh, the end of the 19th century. They, they can go to Welaji, see the oldest olive tree. They can go to uh, Badjakaman. And they also can go to Nablus and see the uh, Tukan factory that produces soap, that still produces soap uh, in a traditional way. So, yeah, so I tried, you know, to put these landmarks that are connected with olive culture on this on 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 the track. It's a very good project, and they tackled other subjects that are related to the Palestinian cultural heritage, the maqamat, the shrines, the landscape, the architectural uh, also building. So it's very interesting if you also can uh, contact my colleagues in this project and see uh, their their interesting work. Well, you know, they are actually. Yeah, they actually have their um, uh, new office right next to our cafe in Beit Zahur. Okay. So we do see them. And George uh, Rishmawi is a good customer of our cafe. So I'm uh, definitely... He's a good friend of mine also. So you send him my regards. <laughs> I will. And what I will also do in uh, the show notes of this podcast and on my website I will put a link to Masar Ibrahim so that people who became now interested and enthusiastic to come and visit Palestine when the world opens up again, inshallah, that they can come and do this kind of hike. And I will uh, post the link to the website where your report was published. So... People can read it. They can see what other things there are on that website. Interesting. And uh, if they have any more detailed questions, they can always uh, find your email address somewhere and contact you. Thank you. I want to thank you very much. I really enjoyed learning from you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. And I hope someday we will see each other in real. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'll make uh, make sure, Yanni, when I come to Bethlehem, inshallah, after this... uh... coronavirus is uh, over or, you know, I'll come before, but when the the sanitary situation is better. So yes, I'll make sure to to come to your cafe and have coffee with you. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris, for hosting me. And every week, my daughter Louisa is teaching you a word in Arabic. So let's see which words we can learn from her today. Louisa, how do you say in Arabic olive oil? Zetun. And Louisa, how do you say in Arabic olive leaf? Warak zetun. And how do you say olive wood? Khashab zetun. Thank you, Louisa. Thank you for these words. And next week we will learn. Other words. (music) 
I hope you enjoyed this episode about the importance of the olive trees in Palestine and also last week's episode about the olive harvest. I would like to take this opportunity to promote the gift shop of the Bethlehem Bible College where I study the tour guide program. The gift shop sells items that are made by local artisans and craftsmen and they support the local community and generate funds for scholarships for students and they support fair trade. They have an online shop from where you can order beautiful products directly from Bethlehem, including olive wood items. They are great Christmas gifts. They ship almost everywhere in the world, but it may take up to a month to arrive. So don't wait. Go to their website to do some nice Christmas gift shoppings for a good cause. Their webshop is called The Star Bazaar, and you will find the link in the show notes and on the website storiesfrompalestine.info. There you can also find the link to the Kofi platform if you want to make a donation. And remember, this week's donations are for the tour guide students. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening and ma salama. Thank you.